Hey everybody, this is Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Andrew. I'm Tara. And this is part 58 in our 3726 part series wherein we pick a movie at random from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, watch it, try to do some research, and then tell you what we thought and learned. That's right. Uh, so we have one cardinal rule for the podcast. As long as neither of us have ever seen the movie before, we are on our bone to watch it. There are some other rules that we'll invoke as needed, or you can check them out on our, our website if you're curious. Yeah, so it is uh, my turn to pick this week. Let's just fucking get to it. Rip off the band-aid. Yeah, here we go. All right. Tara's going to start flipping through the guide. Stop. Okay. You almost picked Lilia forever. Are you shitting me? No. <laughs> oh my god. I'm not shitting you. Uh, you. You missed it by an inch. Oh god. We are watching another movie from Sweden. Okay. Uh, this one... We should say, uh, for, since that was <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, like 40 episodes ago, uh, Lilia Forever is the second movie we ever watched for the podcast, and it's fucking traumatic as hell, deals with human trafficking, and is ultimately depressing, and I've somehow picked it three times uh, out of a, a book of several thousand movies to potentially choose at random. Uh, almost four times now, so... Yeah. Good God. Yeah. Anyway. Pretty wild. It's like the book really wants to stop on that page. (laughs) There's something wrong with this book. Uh, It's cursed. (laughs) The most boring curse. I think the spine might have been broken there or something. I don't know. But even still, like, when I'm flipping, I don't don't understand. Anyway. Inexplicable. So, we are watching Faithless. Okay. It's a movie from the year 2000. Uh Uh-huh. Directed by Liv Ullman. Here's how it's described by the guide. Ingmar Bergman wrote this painful autobiographical drama about a writer named Bergman and played by Erland Josephson, uh, trying to come to grips with a tragedy caused by his own monstrous and unforgivable actions decades before. He tells the story of a woman, Lena Andre, who may be a ghost, a memory, or an actress playing the part in a theater exercise. Perhaps too personal for Bergman to direct himself, he allowed Allman to helm the script, and she does so beautifully. Henriksen plays the director in the past, a cocky young man in the midst of a relationship with a married woman who is assaulted by her separated husband and abandons her in her time of need. The haunting story is even more devastating when set against Bergman's own history. But this is no mere act of atonement. Bergman's script is powerful and uncompromising, and Allman's direction is sensitive and responsive to the hard emotions at work. Well, that sounds promising. Yeah, it does. Um, it reminds me of that... Pederewski movie that we saw at SIF. I forget what it's... Endless Poetry? Yes. A little bit it reminds me of that, because that was kind of autobiographical. And Mm -hmm. One of the big differences, of course, being that Bergman just wrote the script. Okay. And then otherwise has been hands-off with it, I I take it. You know, he he put it in the hands of another director. He's not in it. Yeah. For those of you who haven't or aren't at all familiar with Endless Poetry, which I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people aren't. Yeah. It was really good. It was, it was very it was good. Really good. And uh, what's what's wild about it? Just like, not to go off too far off on a tangent, but just the way that he he wrote a movie about his life. He's in it, and then he's got two of his sons playing yeah. himself as a young man right. and his father, and it's just like so fucking wild. Yeah, it's it's a, a pretty pretty great movie. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's so visually stunning. Yeah. And not as traumatizing as, say, like, I haven't seen El Topo, but I understand that's pretty rough. Yeah, uh, yeah, Holy yeah. Mountain has some rough stuff in it. Right. Uh, so, 
Yeah, uh, well worth checking out, but that's besides the point here. Yeah, um, totally besides the point, but I can see why it made you think of that. Similarly, something. Something. There's, there's a common thread there. There's a common kind. thread. <laughs> um, yeah, so it does sound promising. And um, I guess we will be back with our thoughts on Faithless after this brief musical interlude. First of all, this movie is nothing like endless poetry. No. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing at all like endless poetry. Uh, uh, that movie had a sense of, I guess, kind of wonder and fun to it. Yes. There's not really any wonder. Uh, yeah. Maybe we should just get into our rating right now. Sure. So we've got, got a five-point scale uh, ranging from don't watch, maybe don't watch, eh, maybe watch, and then at the top of the scale, don't not watch. Have you settled on a rating? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I also think I know. So on the count of three, we shall reveal our ratings. One, two, three. Maybe, Maybe watch. watch. But like usual, we're usually on the same page or close to it. We're pretty close, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's kind of similar to Meituan in... Yeah. Uh... In some respect, because it's a good movie that I Never, do not want to watch again. watch again. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, I think uh, the reason why I, I gave Meituan like a, a eh rating, right? And I think the reason I rated this higher is because it's just more relatable, I guess. Sure. It's more identifiable. Yeah, 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 and mm-hmm. there's definitely some of the acting in it is just like so affecting. Yeah. And. It's it's very gripping, but yeah, it's two hours and 40 minutes long, and I do not want to watch it again necessarily, because it is fucking emotionally brutal. Yes. I mean, not not to the extent of uh, Lilia Forever. Right. You know, right. but uh, it's, not, it's... I don't know, that's like two for two for us Swedish films. Being pretty uh, emotionally yeah, difficult, yeah. Um, in terms of what we've seen for this podcast, so I don't know. It's dark. Just dealing with the dark, Darkness dark sides Sweden. of life, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like Sweden, let yourself have a little fun. <laughs> you can let up sometimes. No, apparently it's all just misery and <laughs> infidelity and <laughs> uh, tortured relationships, human and, trafficking. Yeah. Oof. Anyway. Uh, anyways, yes. Yeah. So yeah, like I, when, when I was I was going through it again because it's also like a very dense movie. In addition to being very long, it's very dense, and so I was kind of rewatching bits of it, but I had to put it on like six times speed, not just because it was a long movie, but also because I'm like I can't watch this in real time again because right. it's just 
difficult, painful to watch and at points. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously your mileage may vary. You know, some people have better ability to put themselves through that kind of emotional, through the emotional ringer, but... It's kind of a subtle kind of brutality, I would yeah. say. It's not like beating you over the head with it for no, a good portion of the movie. It's yeah, not, yeah. at least. And then what I also would mention here is that, you know, before we start recording, I tried to make a, a summary of the movie, just to take notes down <laughs> on what I think are the, the key points, so we can refer to it as we're going through the plot. And uh, this is the <laughs> longest that I've ever made one of these. It's like By far. almost two pages. It's- and I still feel like I didn't really cover everything that could have been covered in it. Of course. Like, it doesn't reference the framing device too much. No, yeah, exactly. And that's a big part of it, but also it's just like, if I got into that... This could be, like, several episodes yeah, <laughs> if we did that. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll touch on it, I'm sure, but just because we do want to not have a podcast that goes on for as long as the movie takes to watch. Yeah. Um, I don't want to edit that. No. That's, that's yeah, sure. it's going to take like three times as long as that, you know? We don't have a million hours to spend. And, and you probably don't either, you know, but... Um, you know, between you and us, we're doing the heavy lifting here. To be, Let's be fair. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. Yeah. Um, we're doing the real work here. Yeah, yeah. The real work that nobody asked to do. Uh, the real work that we assigned ourselves. You're welcome. <laughs> it's a thankless task we've created for ourselves. So let's just uh, let's get into it and get into the plot and then just again caveat. It's something that, that I think applies to like pretty much every episode. We're not covering every single aspect of the movie. No, we're not here. getting into every single tiny detail. So the movie opens up on an older gentleman who is uh, in a study He's kind of talking to himself, you think, and then you realize he's talking to someone lurking in the shadow somewhere, and then the person's responding, and um, it's a woman's voice. He's writing a story, and he's asked for someone to help him with it. So it's he's, he kind of creates this woman, Marianne, um, and it's left open to interpretation if she's a real person who's physically there with him, like an actress that he's hired. Or whether it's a, a memory or a ghost of somebody that he knew. So that's kind of part of the framing device. Yeah, and throughout the whole movie, it's cutting back and forth between the events of the movie and then him kind of interviewing her and her providing this narration as to her inner thoughts um, as yeah. to what's going on. And it's something, you know, narration is such a difficult thing to do well. There's just so many terrible movies yeah. that are like, Start off, and the guy's like, well, I bet you're wondering how I got myself in this situation. And I say that because there was a movie that I tried to watch earlier this morning that started off like that. (laughs) And you're like, nope. Just like this obnoxious kind of narration, giving you the character's inner monologue. Um, And this really does an excellent job of portraying and giving what's going on and giving insight into what her thoughts are. And it's not obtrusive at at all. all. Um, Yeah. So it, it's really commendable because that is something that could very easily go awry and it is consistently well done throughout the movie. Well, and it, and it just like in this case particular, it adds so many layers to the movie. Yeah. You can really sit there and have some real debates with people about what's going on here because Ingmar Bergman wrote the movie. He's basically the old man. So <laughs> it's kind of like the process of him 
writing this screenplay and, you know, like the woman who's fleshing out the story for him, he's writing her words too. Yeah. And so he's asking her to give depth to the story and like her perspective and what she was experiencing um, as the events of the story took place and, and also, you know, looking back on it now. And he's writing that himself. So it's just, you know, like how you decide to interpret it, like it's the, how much is it his story, her story, um, his interpretation of her feelings and what happened. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just one of the many ways that this is a dense, densely packed movie. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, we're talking like, this is like a minute <laughs> movie or something. Yeah, like, this yeah. is like first couple minutes that I'm talking about here right. and just. Oh, so yeah, there's there's a lot you could you could pick apart with this movie if you're that sort of person. Um, so old man Bergman, who's writing a screenplay and talking, having this conversation with this woman Marianne. She, um, Marianne, starts talking about, okay, well, this is what my life was, and you know, you want this story? Here we go. She has her husband named Marcus, who's a renowned orchestra conductor. And they have a young daughter named Isabel, seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere around there. And then they have a really close family friend named David. They're basically just like just a family with one good friend that comes over and has dinner with them often. So uh, David is a director, so he, he directs plays and movies and whatnot. And Marianne's an actress. Um, so everything's great. They're all, you know, having their lovely lives and being friends and being creative. Um, until one day Marianne meets up with David and invites him back to her house for dinner. Marcus is away somewhere, um, conducting or whatever. And so it's just Marianne, David having dinner. And, and I think her daughter is probably there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then eventually it's like late in the night and they're sitting around, you know, drinking wine and David gets a little morose and, and just like in the middle of nowhere, he, he turns to Marianne and is like, would you sleep with me? <laughs> and, and she's like, wait, what? No, no, <laughs> no. And, uh, she's like, just, just no, <laughs> you're like, we're like brother and sister. And, um, he's like, oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. And then they go off in the night and he's, he's pretty shit faced. And uh, Marion decides, okay, well, you have to stay the night. Well, he, he kind of says it. Well, then I'll just, like, lay here or I'll, I'll make oh. up a bed for myself or something. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll just make up a bed on the couch here or something. And, and Marianne decides maybe against better judgment. Well, it's not going to hurt to have him sleep in the bed next to me. I'm making it clear that I have no sexual intentions towards <laughs> you. And, and, you know, the, these are the boundaries of our relationship. So... Okay, we will sleep in the same bed next to each other, but as brother and sister, and we can hold hands, and that's it. Uh, weird decision, I would say. Maybe not. A, a very weird decision. Not the, the call I would have made if I were in her situation. No. If you had just been like, let's do it. Like, uh. Yeah, and and you've been both been drinking. Yeah. Like, not to say that. Not to blame her for this. Not to, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, but it's just. You know, maybe you have you're having a lapse of judgment, and and you don't know what this other person could do. And nothing happens. In inebriety, yeah. Spoiler alert: nothing happens. They don't sleep with each other. But at one point in the night, Marianne kind of wakes up, and she looks at him as he's sleeping, 
And for some reason, she has this realization watching him sleep there that, you know what, actually, you know what, I do want to bone down. Yeah, well. It's like, well, she says, the way she says it is like, she'd never really seen him and like who he is as a person until he's asleep. And, like, unguarded. Yeah, and then she also, I think, says something about how she... It's, like, the only time she ever sees him like that, too. Just in that one moment is the... Just, like, that one brief moment. Yeah. (laughs) But because of that, all this shit that's about to happen goes down. Yeah, and... So that night goes, you know, fairly uneventfully. They hold hands, and that's it. And then at some point later, these thoughts are kind of percolating in in Marianne's head and she decides that she does want to have an affair with David and so she meets up with him I think it may be something related to the play that he's working on yeah I think they, they work in like the same building probably because she's an actress and he's directing and so I think that it's probably like she's at that theater rehearsing okay. it's my guess yeah that, that would make sense and so I don't even know what they're talking about, but she just kisses him kind of out of the bloom, and he's receptive to it, but he's also taken aback, and he kind of almost immediately goes into this spiel about how uh, his life is misery and how he brings misery down upon everything around him, just like he's a, a hurricane of, of misery engulfing everything around him, how his life is a failure, and just he carries failure around with him, and how he's rotten, and his life is a wreck, and just all of this, like, woe is me stuff. He's like, oh, I'd commit suicide, but I just don't have it in me to do that. And this somehow ingratiates him to her further, like, oh, I don't yeah, know. Oh yeah, she it's finds like, it really charming. Yeah. In like, a way. Like, what? Maybe just, like, the... This should be huge red flags. The, the vulnerability that he's, you know, showing is maybe what appeals to her it's not really clear but yeah it's like man if somebody is like oh yeah my i'm horrible and my life just had like has horribleness surrounding it and misery and and was like but not i can understand empathizing maybe offering help to some degree or or something maybe to to be like you know what i really want to get entangled with you yeah romantically you know what this is what i'm looking for right now (laughs) her decision making kind of throughout the movie is questionable not great yeah um it's hard i i I say maybe that's part of one reason why i didn't rate it higher too is like you know even though it said i don't really understand why marianne would have decided to make this be with him at all yeah yeah no it's totally like i did not see any appeal no there what would have drawn her towards him aside from him planting this idea in her head yeah and it's a mystery as to why she decides that this is what she wants to go for. But she does go for it, um, regardless of her reasoning. And, you know, she's trying to convince him, despite him talking about how awful he is. She's like, oh, this will be this will be great. And, you know, I'm going off to Paris and you should make up an excuse as to why you have to be in Paris, too. And then we can be together for these three weeks. And it, it won't be a problem. It won't be suspicious to Marcus because, you know, we're, we're, I'm his wife and you're his friend and we're just meeting up and it's a happy coincidence. And, um, but yeah, so she throws this idea out there and, and David agrees to do it. And then at some point he's over there at their house having dinner. She just casually mentions it and it's like, oh, hooray. I don't know what that clap was. 
but it's it Plan seems accepted. <laughs> yeah, uh, Marcus seems to be unsuspecting, none the wiser. She's happy that they're going to be able to hang out together when they're both in Paris. Well, Marianne makes this big deal about like Marcus, you should come with. That would be great. Yeah. Oh no, I can't. Right, because he's going to be off uh, out of the country conducting. I think is what it is. Right. And so that same night after David is gone, they're both in bed or getting ready for bed, and she's really just pushing her luck, I think, because she's uh-huh. asking him, you know, or, well, aren't you going to be jealous of me and David being in Paris together? And he's like, no, you know, you're my wife and he's my best friend. And it's just something where this, if, if the two of you were to get together like that, it would be treachery. And I don't feel like that is something that it, either of you are capable of. So he's not seemingly not bothered by the idea, even despite her kind of trying to raise the warning. I wonder, like, in some way, if she was, like, trying to prevent it from happening yeah, at that point. Yeah, that could be. I just was thinking but, that, But, I don't know. It doesn't really come across that way when you're watching the film. Right. But maybe she was like, all right, kind of here's here's one more chance where I could make this not happen. Okay, nothing happened, so... I guess I'm going to continue with the plan then. <laughs> and maybe it's just that she, you know, this is all speculation on my part, of but course. maybe she's thinking that if she like addresses it outright, it's going to kind of mitigate the fears that you might yeah. potentially have. Yeah. Um, so that could be one reason why she does it. But like, if I suggest it, then he, he's going to realize that I'm not thinking about it. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure if that <laughs> if tracks, that's how it really but, works. Uh, but, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Time passes, they both end up in Paris together, and it's just, like, a very awkward... Extremely awkward. ...relationship. Like, he... David meets Marianne in her hotel room, and he, they're both just, like, sitting there weirdly and chuckling, and, and then they, like, fall into each other. And it's just this montage of them going around Paris together, and she presents him with this music box at one point, and then there's um, this scene where... They are drinking and eating dinner, and David is questioning her about her past love life. And she is talking about, like, how this all seemed very innocent and, you know, playful at first. And then later, um, it gets much more serious, and we see a really ugly, jealous, violent side of David back in their hotel room, where he's, like, throwing her onto the bed and kind of pinning her, and it's really... Ugly. Really not good. Yeah. Really, really, really awful. And also throws into question why this continued any further past that, because right. this is maybe the 40-minute mark of the movie, um, and it doesn't derail their affair. No, not at all. So after this, they're getting ready to leave Paris. The The trip is almost over, and he's getting really kind of confrontational and, and pissy at her. And just accusing her of only wanting to do this under her own terms. And how he's kind of beholden to her beck and call with uh, this relationship. And it's like, yeah, motherfucker, she's got the most to lose here because it's her marriage and her... Her family. Her family that's on the line. Like, you're just some... Dude. Some dude who doesn't have really any high stakes in this. So yeah, she should be the one that's dictating the terms of this if this is going to happen at all. But... He's a shithead, so he doesn't really see it that way. So they, they go back to Sweden. And I think, actually, at this point, she does get a little more put off by him. She's yeah. wanting to distance 
from him and cut it off maybe entirely because she she writes him a letter saying that she's had enough of this. Yeah, so things that ended, they stopped sleeping with each other, you know, after Paris and, and kind of kept their distance. So one day Marianne's like, you know what, I'm just going to sneak in and check out the rehearsal of the play that David's directing and see how that's going. And so she like sneaks into the theater it's and going terribly. It's going fucking badly. It is, it looks like the most god-awful trash, uh, like, it's supposed to be like anti, anti-theater or whatever, or like some like real, like post, post, post theater. Yeah. Like bullshit. And like during the rehearsal, one of the actors just is just like chomping on chewing gum and just not yeah. taking it seriously. Yeah. You can tell all the actors are just like, oh my God, this is the a hot pile of trash and even david is the, even like, david it's like i have no idea why any of them are still making this thing yeah because they all think it's shit <laughs> they all know it's shit they're maybe just too far in at this maybe. point maybe that's kind of yeah maybe an they're like stuck <laughs> yeah that could be a really good analogy for the situation between yeah. me and david and mary i haven't really thought about that yeah until now. that's a good point so it's like score it mark it on the chalkboard <laughs> one point for andrew um so it's like I just want to make this comment, like, it's supposed to be, so they're, like, all these kind of older actors, maybe late middle age, or closer to retirement age, and they're in all these, like, almost futuristic, but also, like, ancient robes that are, like, white and silver and metallic. Yeah, right. Um, there's this, like, staircase to nowhere, (laughs) and otherwise this set is just, like, sparse. Yeah. (laughs) It, It looks so bad. It looks very bad. So it's like the one moment of levity in the movie. This I would is say. the only moment of levity, probably. David blows up at this actor who's chewing gum, like, take this seriously, you piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, okay, well, rehearsal over. Um, so Marianne later is like, oh, that sucks. I should talk to David. So she goes and, like, waits for him at, at his office in the theater. And it's, like, forever before he shows up. And then she's like, you know what? Let's meet at your apartment tonight. And they fall into having an affair again. So I think she just feels so sorry for him that she's like, you know what? Okay, here's a pity fuck. But then, like, that just opens another can of worms where they just continue sleeping with each other. And so one day they're in bed and there's a knock at the door and it turns out it's Marcus. He's shown up. And he slides, like, a note under the door, too, and it's, I've got a key, I'm gonna let myself in if you don't open up Yeah, because the they're, like, minutes. not gonna open the door. So Marcus gets let in, David's naked, and Marianne's kind of covered in a sheet sort of thing, and... And they're kind of, like, giggling nervously about getting caught they're like, or oh, something. Well, yeah, I guess I have that reaction sometimes when it's really inappropriate, and it's yeah. just the only thing that happens, like, I physically will start giggling. Yeah, yeah. Even though that's not how I feel. Right. So I can kind of understand where it's, like... There's so much pressure in your body, just like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so they're kind of nervously giggling, and Marcus explains that he knew something was up even before Paris. He claims that uh, one of Marianne's coworkers gave him the tip that like something was up, and Marcus was like, "Well, I'll let it happen because it's my best friend, my wife, whatever. They go do this thing, and then it'll be fine. We'll be back to normal." He he's saying like. Then you guys started up again. And at that point, I realized it was hopeless. And, uh, Marianne, we're getting divorced. I'm going to make this painful. And she's talking, when she's talking to 
Bergman about this. She talks about how as she was driving home, she feels this poison spreading throughout her body. And yeah, so this is about the halfway point of the movie. And yeah, strap yourselves in. Buckle up for fucking misery city. Misery from here on out. Yeah. So, uh, Marianne and uh, Marcus obviously are on the outs, and so we have a scene where Marianne is trying to explain the situation to Isabel. Hey, so mommy and daddy getting divorced, and you're gonna have to live with grandma for a bit, because I gotta, you know, I can't live here, I've gotta go somewhere else. So, yeah, sorry about that. And it's just like this really fucking heartbreaking scene with her, her little girl's just like, okay. And then she walks to her bedroom and you, you see her back yeah. to her mom, like her tiny frame. And and then the scene after it breaks back to old Bergman talking with Marianne and she's just breaking down. Yeah. And it is rough. Just sorry, kid. You can't stay with us. There's not enough room at uh Yeah. At he doesn't place. have room for you physically. Because, yeah, obviously, uh, Isabel knows David, and they have, like, this great relationship. And so she's like, well, why can't I live with the three of you if you're going to be living with David? And uh, it's like, well, there's just not room for you there. Look what, you can't sleep on the couch or something? Yeah, (laughs) like, like, are you fucking kidding me? You could could make it work if you really... Yeah. Oh, my God, you're fucking abandoning your child now. I don't understand why she would make that decision, too. It's just like... So rough. Yeah. So, um, Marcus is out of the country again, conducting, and so Marianne's kind of trying to figure out the situation. She goes to meet with a lawyer. Turns out this lawyer's representing Marcus, and the lawyer tells Marianne that Marcus has decided he's going to completely give up his career so he can take care of Isabel and have full custody. Um, and, and the lawyer's like, this just shows how serious it is because he's got this fucking amazing career and he's willing to give it all up. He's dedicated to making this hurt for her. So but basically that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily that he wants to take care of Isabel fully. Right. I mean, that might be kind of part of it, but it's really, he's trying to fuck Marianne over and be like, you know what? I'm taking her daughter and you will not get to have her. Yeah. Because you fucked up. So, uh, Marianne kind of realizes what's up and she's like, okay, I have to find my own lawyer. So, social services is doing an interview with David and Marianne to try and find out, um, how fit they are to take care of Isabel. And it goes poorly from almost the beginning. David, you just are like, are you trying to make this bad? Like, are, are you purposely trying to fuck this up for Marianne? Because... The way he he reacts to the questions is awful. This social services person brings up the fact that David's had two children that he has completely abandoned. So he's not paying child support. And in fact, not only is he not paying any child support to his kids or having any relationship with his two kids, he's also extremely in debt. And somehow Marianne is just like, okay... Right there. That would be like, okay, nope. <laughs> I think relationship over. Because he also just, like, blows up at the social services person. Um, so not only is he admitting, like, yeah, obviously, I've completely given up my relationship with my other children. 
he's also showing that he's got this anger issue. Yeah. And the social services worker is, she's doing her job. She's doing yeah. the due diligence. And so it's, you know, yeah. You I understand mean, why she's asking these really personal, tough questions. And like, there's an point at which she's talking about how Isabel seems to really not be doing too good now. She's performing poorly at school and not sleeping and all these things that, like, understandably, her life has been thrown into disarray. Yeah, so the the social services meeting goes poorly, and then they are meeting up. Marianne and David are meeting up with this lawyer friend of hers, and it doesn't seem, you know, the lawyer is painting a pretty Grim. Well, no, no, it's not even that grim. I mean, it, it's she's trying to put a positive spin on it. Things are bad, but she's not, you know, saying that it's totally hopeless. But um, she notices that Marianne is pregnant. And she's like, oh, this could be bad for the court case if they see that you're pregnant by David while you're trying to get custody of your daughter. Uh-huh. And um, so there's all this back and forthing, and it sounds pretty ugly and eventually at one point Marianne and David have moved into this new apartment with room for Isabel and Marcus calls Marianne there and he's like want to end this I'm, I'm tired of this yeah it's like a couple days or something or maybe a couple weeks out from their court date and so you, you know that it's just gonna end poorly with the court and so it's kind of a Huge surprise that he would call her. Yeah, it, he's very likely to win. And so he's like, well, you know what? I think if, if you come and meet with me, we can work this out. I think I've figured out a way for us to work this out without having to have this get any uglier than it already has with the lawyers. It's just going to be you and me. David can't be there. No lawyers. Um, tomorrow night. And so Marianne agrees to do this. And David is pissed. He's like, you don't know what he's going to do. You know, he's this is not a good situation. He, yeah, he's basically trying to say, this could be dangerous. Think about what he might do to you. And uh, Marianne's like, oh, I've been married to him all these years. I know he's not capable of doing anything. Yeah, and she's kind of talking about how they've humiliated him by what they've done. And mm-hmm. so she feels like she owes this to him, maybe. it's yeah. Watching this, you're like, this really seems like a bad idea. I can understand why she would agree to do it, hoping right. to get like a easy out to all this, but um, or just like any possibility of seeing her daughter because she obviously is really cut up over the idea of not having a relationship with Isabel and not having any custody. She definitely made some some decisions. Yeah, that, that, that impacted that. Despite David's protesting, she's like, I'm going to do this. So. She goes and meets up with them, and they're driving around, and, like, he's taking her out to the countryside, and the scene of the two of them driving kind of stops with him stopping out in the countryside in the car with her, and then it cuts to her coming back to the apartment, and she's talking to Bergman, and she's like, yeah, and so his condition for, for him giving up custody of Isabel is that he wanted to fuck me one last time. I think one thing that would um, kind of explain somewhat... Uh, Marianne mentions at one point to David about how Marcus is so into fucking her. Yeah, that it's better, it's than, like conducting... better than conducting the rites of spring. Right. You're, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe he just wants a parting fuck. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Kind but... of. It's like, 
You're trying to like clutch at something not horrible. But and then uh, it ends up not being the case. It's yeah. like a very vindictive thing, and I, I don't want to go into all the details because it's pretty fucking gruesome. Oh yeah, she tells the writer Bergman that she slept with him. Yeah, and then it moves back to like the past where she shows up at her apartment with David. Yeah, so she she's back at the apartment. She goes in, and and David comes out of the bedroom and confronts her and. She's kind of trying to be evasive about what happened. She's just like, oh, yeah, he just agreed to to give up custody. Like, he mentioned something about another woman, and so he's going to do it. And David doesn't buy it at all, and he's like, well, just uh, let me ask one thing of you. You know, take off your panties. I want to see if there's a sperm on him, so take off your panties. And this is where she goes into pretty graphic detail about what Marcus did to her. And it's, uh... It's fucked up. It's pretty pretty brutal sounding. And yeah. Yeah, like I said. It's she doesn't up. use the word rape, but it's, it's rape. It's rape. And just as a sidebar, the uh, the Wikipedia summary of the movie, whoever wrote that, I'm going to assume it's a dude. Um, oh, I'm just sure. going to go out on a limb here and assume that it's a dude that wrote it like this. But he refers to this as, like, an affair that she uh-huh. has with Marcus. No. This is not no, a my fucking dude. affair. Not an affair. He raped her. Even though she, quote, unquote, consented to have sex with him one last time. That's Look not... at the power dynamic Yeah. Involved. He was holding something over her head. Fuck you, whoever wrote that Wikipedia yeah. <laughs> summary. Yeah. Maybe Especially I should go in and edit it. Maybe. Yeah, but it's not, it's not like they just have sex. He's fucking biting her yeah and hurting her yeah so yeah it's not an affair so it's pretty ugly and then david just blows up over this even despite the fact that marianne it's not something she was happy to have done it's something that she felt she really had to do but he he flips out and we see, for the first time in the movie, like really the only time in the movie, we see David now in this house with Bergman, and he's really upset, in retrospect, really upset about what he had done to her, talking about how he realized how, how horrible this was, and how it was really the point at which their relationship was doomed. And Bergman kind of reaches out to him to try to console him, because past David is so upset by this and so regretful. But in the moment, he's just violently angry again. And then, yeah, the scene just kind of yeah. ends with no... Resolution. No right? resolution, yeah, exactly, to this. Yeah. And so Marianne is saying, like, yeah, and so th- this is the, the point at which we started to grow more distant. I went and got an abortion without talking to him about it, and... That it was fine. Like, there's no regret yeah, there. Yeah, like, when I told him, it was just like, okay. Yeah, like, oh, poor Marianne. And just totally insincere response to it. And then... I guess Marianne does end up getting custody of Isabel. Yeah, and she and, she and David are no longer together. They kind of are at this oh, point. Oh, at this point? Yeah, it's still... Okay. Still kind of, like, they're definitely... It's, on it's, the outs. It's on the outs, yeah, but they're still kind of together. Yeah. But so, so she gets custody of Isabel, and Marcus basically just drops out of her life. He's not contacting Isabel at all, and Isabel is just like, What's going on? What Doesn't dad? my dad want to have anything to do with me? And so Marianne 
calls Marcus and she's like, hey, you, you're really like, she's very upset that you're not a part of her life. What's going on? And he's like, well, I'm just, I've been in a bad place, but now, you know, I'm ready to see her. And so they make arrangements for Isabel to visit him. And so she drops Isabel off, then goes to meet with her theater group. Oh no, it's not while Isabel's there though. Isabel's not there when he does it. She's not there when he does it, but it's weird. Like the timeline is kind of weird the way it, that they showed it yeah so in, in any case we see marianne with her theater group and then she's pulled aside by somebody from the theater and, and is told that david took a bunch of sleeping pills and is dead and so she goes to see his corpse and and um yeah she finds out that there was a woman who rode with him in the ambulance so this is mentioned to her and then she and David break up for good because he's been... God, yeah, it's I think maybe... Yeah, I don't know if he, like, started something with somebody else. Yeah, I think. David had gone off to film his movie and then had an affair while he was with, gone. With, like, the lead actress or something. Right, and so he had an affair and then he comes back and it's over. Like, they're just having this knockdown, drag-out fight. And then... Uh, Which Isabel's hearing, of course. Yeah, and... Then she decides, Marianne decides to contact this Mrs. Daniels uh, to try to get some idea, like some closure maybe on what happened. Yeah. And so they meet up and it becomes clear that this is somebody that Marcus had been having an affair with for a long, long time. Long time. Years and years. And she's the one who had found the body sitting in a chair and... Uh, she's like, well, do you want to read this note that he left? His suicide note? Do you want me to read this to you? She just seemed, like, so... Just did not give a shit, basically. So detached. She had no desire at all to be sympathetic with Marianne. It's just kind of more like, I don't know what he was thinking when he wrote this, but here you go, you should read it. Yeah, and, and she does also mention that she noticed this change in him after the trip to Paris that mm-hmm. David and Marianne had had. Like, he had changed pretty noticeably that this you know this is when he decided that it was hopeless but otherwise he never like mentioned marianne yeah to mrs daniellis yeah until after the affair marianne had felt all this guilt and like she was the one who really destroyed everything and and the shit she got put through and then to go ahead and find oh well marcus had actually been fucking this other person for years before that yeah and uh, this lady is like, well, here, let me read to you You're the suicide note that he left. And it's this story about these two people who committed suicide together. And and Marcus reveals that this was the plan that he'd had for him and Isabel. He was going to have her come over in the morning and they were both going to take sleeping pills and kill themselves. Isabel got scared, understandably, and did not go to see him that morning. He'd called her and she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm scared. I can't do this. And he's like, oh, it's okay. I understand. And then took the pills himself. And yeah, it's rough. Maybe he's underselling it a little bit. It's brutal. It's horrifying is what it is. The fact that he was planning on taking Isabel with him. Yeah. It just is like fucking hell. Well, and, and there were so many, there were multiple scenes in the movie where Marianne and David or Marianne and Marcus were fighting. And you would just see Isabel laying in her bed trying to drown out the sound. Yeah. And there were just like these fucking horrible knockdown drag out fights where 
They're screaming at the top of their lungs. All this emotional trauma that this poor young child is having to suffer, it's heartbreaking. It's like, I think everybody can relate at some point in their childhoods to like, you know, having your parents fight or something and just that feeling of, I I need to try and block out the sound of this because I can't. I don't have the emotional strength to deal with this as a small child. Yeah. Just like to know she's also being asked to commit suicide with her dad. Yeah. This is, you know, she's being asked. It's like it's well after that point where the social services person is telling Marianne, uh, Isabel's really unhappy and she's having trouble with school and she's not sleeping and whatever. Like she was struggling like that before being asked to kill herself with her dad. Yeah. and Oh my God. And so, uh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's how it ends. Uh, Pretty with, much. With uh, the flashbacks <laughs> at least into the past. And um, yeah. So Marianne talks about how she and David had, Somehow, despite all of this, remained friends for the rest of their lives. And Bergman's like, and then you drowned. And she's like, yeah. And and then she just kind of disappears from the house. And Bergman just kind of going and looking out the window. And then it shows him walking on the shore. As he's walking on the shore, it cuts back to his study. Uh, and it shows the music box that Marianne had given David back in Paris playing on his desk. And that's the end. The end. And it, honestly, it's not actually until the credits roll that you realize the, the old man writer is actually named Bergman. Yeah, we were referring to he's, him as yeah, that. Yeah, we've been throughout referring the movie. to him as that throughout the, the retelling, but he's never called that in the movie. Right. And like the guy had mentioned, this is based loosely on stuff that had happened in Ingmar Bergman's life. And it's it's not entirely clear like how much of it is true hopefully not too much of it because it's fucking horrible um yeah and at least for some some amount of it is true the director of the movie lee volman was an actress who had worked on a number of ingmar brigman's films and they had an affair and they have a child together but this film wasn't based on their relationship she kind of explained that it was an earlier relationship. Yeah, we watched an interview that she, or not, a, not really an interview, but like a, a little talk that she gave before a showing of Faithless at the Toronto International Film Festival, and she says, like, this is not our relationship that's being depicted in the movie. It's something that happened before we were together. And, and you know, what's interesting <laughs> about it is, like, Leave talks about being given the script, and, you know, I've seen other, I read a couple other interviews with her, and Basically, she and Ingmar Bergman didn't really talk about the make, like, what was, how she was going to direct it. Basically, like, she was given the script and, like, trusted with it. And so she went and did it how she wanted. But what's kind of interesting about it is, like, you know, to your point of what isn't isn't real, you know, I've seen this movie described as a meditation on shame and, and, um, guilt, you know, the guilt of knowing you did really horrible things to people. And how you live with that or don't, you know, like, how, how do you address that? How do you reconcile it? And so it's kind of, it's really interesting that he would write this movie, you know, and like him writing it in the movie. But when he would talk with Liv, he was like, no, 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 this isn't me. And she's like, but you named the character Bergman. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's not me. It's not me. I just couldn't think of a better name. I couldn't think of any other name. Yeah, like, uh... <laughs> and he's like, but then you also have it. It's 
on Fara, which is like the island where he lived. And I think it was in his actual house there. Well, yeah, they, they did actually film it. Yeah, in his real study. Yeah. Um, With all of his real shit and like on his beach. Yeah. So she's like, you know, it is you. Like... The jig is up, we know. Yeah, I mean, he was but... being, it sounded like he was being facetious when he <laughs> oh, said he yeah, couldn't think of... Yeah, to some degree. And Lee Bowman, she gives the impression that Bergman was too hard on himself. Like, she, yeah. she's like, like, the woman who was involved in this affair that he's talking about forgave him. I've forgiven him. But up until he died, he absolutely refused to forgive himself. Yeah, and, and that's... so that scene in the movie where David and, and Bergman face each other, Lee put it in the, the film to be like... Hey Ingmar, you should re- you should really forgive yourself. Like it's her putting it into the film that he forgives himself. Yeah. Um, and she made the point that you know he never once said anything about that scene, and so therefore he must have liked it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty good. We'll link to the the uh, talk that she gave. It's, yeah, it's, it's like a good. preface she gave, like at a screening. It, it, that's feels so true to life because I think we're, at least I am, I know that you are, to an extent, so inclined to be super hard on ourselves. Like, I'm my own worst critic, for sure, and just am way harsher on myself. And it's something that, like, my therapist and I have talked about, she's like, you would not talk to one of your friends the way that you're talking about yourself here, so you need to cut yourself some slack, but it's just such a hard thing to do, and... Especially, you know, like like we said, it's not entirely clear from what we could find. We did not find a whole lot of extraneous information on the, the making of the movie. But yeah. from what we could find, it's not clear how much of this it holds to what actually happened. But if even, like, half of it did, I can see being haunted by that for the rest of your life. And, and just, like, thinking about how, it, it, to me, it's just remarkable that you would be this brutally honest about it and like david does not come across well in the movie at all um and so just like knowing that bergman when he wrote it he did not try to make any excuses or 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 anything he just basically is like you know what here i'm gonna just lay out how ugly i was like how awful my behavior was Without softening it at all, or or skirting away from anything, or, you know, maybe he probably did go make it worse than it was because of his guilt, and just, you know... Yeah, it's... It really... You know, he doesn't give himself any outs, like David. He doesn't give David any outs in this. I can see how that, in some ways, could maybe be a, a little bit of a relief, like, okay, look, here, I was a shit. And just, like, proclaiming that to everybody, like, look, I've been a real shithead and done some horrible things yeah you know like there could be some measure of relief even if you can't give yourself forgiveness yeah kind of like an exorcism almost of of this and given that he wrote this and it was made when he was like 80 i can see like him feeling like he needed to get this out of himself somehow in some Mm way but it's just like it's so it's such a fascinating thing like for him to have written this movie and written it from Marianne's perspective and just trying to transpose that upon like how he dealt with this thing that happened in his real life it's just really kind of fascinating yeah 
There are so many aspects of this that you could really dissect. Like, there's so much in this. This is such a dense movie. You know, just even, like, talking about the structure of it, um, let alone getting into, you know, what what is and isn't true, what was his intention with with writing this, and then, like, the whole idea of giving it to a woman to direct who you actually did have an affair with. Well, not just an affair. They they were together oh, no, yeah. for, they for were, like three years. Yeah, they were together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they it started off as an affair. Yeah. But um, yeah, they had a relationship and then they did stay best friends, obviously, through the end of his life. They had managed to have a really good relationship. Worked together a lot. And, um, yeah. This was the second film that Lee Volman directed. The first one was with another script from Bergman. But just, there's so much, it's just, there's so many layers to this. There are so many aspects you can go at it. So in that way, like, if you if you do have the, the fortitude to want to sit through this, you know, and, like, you're fascinated, there's a lot there. You yeah. can get out of it, but who? I'm gonna bump this up to a don't not watch. I think don't not watch. Yeah, yeah. Like, even though I don't want to watch it again, ever, right? I, I think I think I agreed. That's I was like really struggling with with the two ratings. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very very good movie. It's just it is really not fun. It's not fun, and I you know I I I think that is like another reason why it is a don't not watch because they do such a good job of making it so realistic and like getting down to the heart of what it is to be a human and like messiness of human relationships and yeah when leaf was introducing the movie at at tiff she made a good point about bergman and his films, like, we found out, you know, for example, Sex in the City was one of his favorite yeah. shows, and he was, like, really into... The Muppets. The Muppets like and all it. this. Like, he, he, you know, he's he's not a snob. He wasn't a snob. No, he... Basically. He had, the, one of the things that I read talked about how he had a really populist taste. One of his favorite yeah. Muppets was Animal, the, the drummer. <laughs> just, just like, a, such an endearing thing. It is. It totally is. And Liv was saying, but the things he made... He's not coming at at it from, like, either an intellectual perspective or just, like, me. He's, like, really... Everything's from the soul. I think that that's why this is so painful. It's unrelentingly. It's unrelenting, and you you feel it. And you, you feel it, I think, in the depths of your being. The... God, I don't even know how to say it. Yeah, it's hard to art- articulate. Uh, it's hard for me to say articulate, also, apparently. <laughs> but... Yeah, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm open it. Don't not watch. Yeah, yeah. And? Should we just, like... End it? I think so. Yeah, I mean... I don't it, know what else we can really say. We, we, we didn't really, like I said, we didn't really find too much uh, information on the making of it, which he, he actually did uh, write at least, I don't know if there's more than one, but he, there was an autobiography, The yeah. Magic Lantern, and it... He talks about the affair in there, which we've not read, or else we'd be able to speak to it more right. specifically. But um, this kind of really makes me want to go down a Bergman rabbit hole. It really does. Yeah, me too. And so, boy, wish there was something more uplifting we could end this episode with. Uh, yeah, but it's it's a it's a good movie, and it's well worth checking out, despite it being 
a difficult watch. A difficult watch, yeah. yeah. So I guess, yeah, we're going to wrap it up here. This is the last of our six-episode pod cast. Series? <laughs> the, grouping the of series? episodes. Yes, the series. Uh, and so we, we're going to take a break for maybe a couple months, and then we'll start getting to back to work on more episodes. Uh, but yeah, I guess, you know, everybody take care of yourselves, wear a mask. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Please wear a mask. They are, they're helpful. They, they do work for the love they of God. They do fucking work. Wear a fucking mask, people. Um, and yeah, stay safe. And we would like to thank the great Pacific Northwest band Boat for letting us use their song lately off the album Setting the Paces. Thank, thank you, you Boat. Boat. Also, in these days, there's so much... There's so much uncertainty. There, A lot of people are really struggling. And, um, you know, I feel like it's, it's a tough thing to ask, but like, if there, if you have any dollars lying around that you can support organizations that are out there to try and help people, Black Lives Matter, we have a lot of work to do in this country, um, anti-racist work and, and, um, basically we're at a point where we can keep working together to make things better and just don't lose sight of that. So whatever you can, you feel that you're able to do to support, whether that is donating money or donating time or putting your body out there, or just marching or just like screaming make, at racists on Facebook, whatever whatever you're able to do, you know, please just don't lose faith, and uh, hopefully when we're back next time, we'll be in a, a little bit of a better position than we're at. Fucking god, but, uh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> you know, these things aren't easy and massive societal and governmental changes take time and effort every little bit helps yeah with that being said if you want to keep up to date with our episode releases like we said probably gonna be a couple of months between this one and the next one but if you wanted to do so you can always follow our facebook group taryn andrew versus the scarecrow video movie guide our website taryn on instagram as well and hey you know if you wanted to just let us know you're listening to this please somebody just let us know you're listening to this yeah that we're not screaming into the void uh you can shoot us an email at terranandrewverses at gmail.com and we'll be back and until next time catch you you later later, potato potato hags. hags